0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing today, City Church? Good to see you guys today. I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping here in the theater, as well as those of you that are worshiping online and in the video cafe. Uh, And last week, we started this conversation where I told you that I was doing some work on my own soul recently. I took some time off. And uh, one of the things that I had to reflect upon are there are a couple of different things that I have to watch out for in my heart. And uh, one of them is watching to make sure my heart doesn't grow hard. To make sure that I still feel empathy for people, that I still feel compassion for other people, have a burden for the hurts and pains of other people. But a second thing I have to watch out for in my own heart is boredom. Because when men get bored, they do stuff they shouldn't do. It can lead to uh, all kinds of evil and dysfunction when a person is bored. Uh, So uh, one of the things I was thinking about was when I was a new Christ follower and I was really trying to go after it, trying to walk with God, going to my church, all that. And I had this friend named Greg Harjo. He's half Indian, half Italian, fun guy to hang around with. And uh, we were both kind of feeling spiritually bored. Together, So what we decided to do is we decided to leave our suburban environments and go down to the downtown of the city where we grew up. And we went down in front of the YMCA there. And there were a lot of street people, homeless folk that uh, congregated around the front of the YMCA. And we would start spiritual conversations with people, Talked to people. We met this guy. His name was Sherman Left Hand, kind of a nice, uh, interesting name there. And we talked to Sherman, struck up a conversation with Sherman. He ended up praying to receive Christ as best you can when you're that drunk. And so then we took him to sober him up a little bit so he could grow in the Lord, took him to Denny's, got him that endless cup of coffee, you know, got him a mound of food there. So we feasted at Denny's together. After we were done eating, we got back into my car. We drove out to my parents' house, suburban house, and they were having Bridge Club that night, and so we brought Sherman over for Bridge Club. Uh, That was awkward. Uh, You know, Sherman was more of an under-the-bridge kind of guy than a Bridge Club kind of guy, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, And so uh, the the Bridge Club people that were there with my parents, my parents may have been a little bit embarrassed, you know, that their religious nut son brought this uh, street dude to the Bridge Club uh, that night. So then we drove by our suburban church, and we told Sherman, hey, we're going to drive back downtown. We're going to pick you up and take you to this church on Sunday, if that's okay with you. And I'll never forget his face. He said, you know, uh, I don't think I'd fit in at a place like that. And I thought to myself, you know, as I was reflecting on that story, thank God for you and City Church downtown, because everybody feels welcome here. Is that a good good ride on? Is that a good amen? So in our trips downtown after that, we didn't see Sherman again. But we had one night where we could see hope in his eyes. And what we've acknowledged during this series is that all of us human beings, we need hope. Um, whether we're bored, whether we're dealing with hardness of heart, whether we're going through suffering, whether we're going through good times, we all... Need hope, and when we're looking for hope, we go to different kinds of dealers. Oftentimes, you know, people that go to different kinds of dealers. We could joke around about drug dealers, or we could talk about, you know, essential oil dealers, or you know, timeshare dealers, or you know, those jewelry dealers, or uh, all kind, Mary Kay dealers, you know, Ford and Chevy dealers. Uh, there are all kinds of dealers: stocks and bonds, deal, you know, Cutco knife dealers. I mean, some dealers are dealing something good, and some are dealing with stuff that you don't really need. But the fact is, is that we, ne- we all need hope. And one of the things that we learned last week from Matthew is that uh, when Jesus is dealing with someone whose heart and, and hope is waning, the Bible says that he never damages the bruised reed, and he doesn't snuff out the flickering candle, but the Bible says his name is hope. When you grasp even just the name of Jesus, it is hope to your soul. So uh, I want to ask you today, are you bored? Are you hurting? Are you in need of hope? And one of the things that we find is in the giving of hope, we receive hope as well. And so in this focus story that we're going to study today, we're going to see uh, the practices of a hope dealer. Look with me at Luke chapter 14, verse 15 through 24, and we'll see a hope dealer story here. It says, a man sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story, a man Prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. After the servants have done this, he reported there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges, urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet see what's going on there? You ever had uh, prepared food for people and then disappointed when they flaked at the last minute? That's what's happening here. And as we break down the story today, we're gonna see five practices that we can emulate to be Hope dealers, look at number one. Hope dealers invite people to the kingdom party. We realize that the kingdom is a party and there is hope in that, isn't there? And so our one big idea for this whole series is simply this, for hearts to heal hopes the deal, right on? Could you say that with me out loud? Even if you're at home online, say it out loud. It'll minister to someone in your house. Here we go, ready? For hearts to heal, hopes the deal. And so there's hope because even though following Christ can be a part of, you know, denying yourself, taking up your cross to follow him, it's also following him into a party, a banquet. Uh, He says in verse 15 there, what a blessing it'll be to attend the banquet of the kingdom of God. It is a feast. Um, Remember last week that the Jewish audience here would have thought about kingdom uh, and, and their thoughts would have been influenced by the prophet Isaiah. So look at a couple of excerpts from Isaiah 25 and 55. Isaiah said, "'On this mountain the Lord Almighty "'will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, "'a banquet of aged wine, "'the best of meats and the finest of wines. "'The Lord has spoken, is anyone thirsty?' Come and drink, even if you have no what? Money. It's all for free. Come. And it's often with those who have no money that you and I experience the kingdom of God. Um, I remember one night I was spending some time uh, at Strong Foundation, our Ministry for Homeless Families that you guys helped to support, and I could smell something really great in the kitchen have you ever been lured by a scent of food into the kitchen? That was what happened to me that night. I went into the kitchen and I saw this delightful woman in there uh, preparing some kind of stew. It looked like some kind of jambalaya or something like that. This woman had been displaced from New Orleans by Hurricane Katrina. and She was in there uh, cooking this wonderful food. And uh, I said, What do you put in that to make it smell so wonderful? And she said, I make it with love. (laughs) And when I had a bowl of it, I'm assuring you, I could feel the love going down in that meal. And you know, um, the kingdom, the early church, was actually a feast or a meal with the poor. I want to take you back to this uh, first century theologian named Tertullian, and he described the early church gatherings, and he said, our feast explains itself by its name. The Greeks called it agape, or agape love feast, which means affection. Um, Whatever it costs, our outlay in the name of piety is gain, since the good things of the feast we benefit the needy. The participants, before reclining, taste first a prayer to God, as much as is eaten as satisfies the cravings of hunger, as much as drunk as benefits the chaste. In other words, they weren't getting drunk. Each is asked to stand forth and sing as he can a hymn to God, either one from the Holy Scriptures or one from his own composing. As the feast commenced with prayer, so with prayer it is closed. And so the early church and the kingdom of the future and the kingdom of the past is actually a feast. Now, I want to acknowledge something here because all this talk of feasting and you read Isaiah and you see a feast, some of you in recovery of uncovered eating disorders, you know, like anorexia or bulimia or overeating, and you hear about all this feasting and it's a problem for you. And I want to uh, stop and acknowledge what you're dealing with just for a minute because uh, eating as an addiction and when it's been messed up in your head is a difficult kind of addiction because like uh, with, with drug addicts, you know that you just want to stop consuming something, Right. But with food, you can't stop eating. You have to learn to eat it appropriately. And where I want to give you some hope today is this, that someday in the kingdom of God, you will feast with Jesus and there'll be no dysfunction in the meal. You'll enjoy it as he intends you to enjoy it. Another thing I want to acknowledge is that as you hear from Isaiah and he talks about all these fine wines of the kingdom, And some of you have dealt with alcoholism, and you know that to be successful in this life and to walk with God, you cannot drink at all. Some of you know that, right? Some have liberty, too, and others of you are honest with yourself, and you know, I cannot drink at all, or it'll totally jag up my life. And I've seen that happen in the past, some of you, right? Um, Well, I think Jesus has some encouragement for you. As well. Look at what he says in Luke 22 18. Jesus says to you, For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And I believe that Jesus is abstaining with some of you who have dealt with addiction so that someday. In the future kingdom, you'll enjoy a great glass of wine with Jesus and there'll be no dysfunction or addiction related to that glass of wine. And I assure you, Jesus knows how to make good wine. He made it at a wedding feast one time. It was the good stuff and it will be a glass of love when you experience in the kingdom with him. But one of the interesting things to me about the story that we're studying today is that these people were invited to the great feast and they actually made these excuses for not going to it. And so uh, look at number two, hope dealers see through excuses. In verse 18, it talks about how they all began making excuses for why they couldn't be a part of the feast of the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you a little background here because you think, what's the big deal? I mean, a guy invites them to a party and they just said, no, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. In the custom of inviting people to feast and events like this in in this time, um, what would happen is a long time before the feast, you would be invited to come to the feast and you would affirm it. So everybody in this story who was invited actually had already agreed to come. And the shock point or the shock element in this story is that people who had already committed to coming to the feast, when they got their second invite to let them know that the the feast was actually ready, the food was prepared and ready, they bailed out and didn't fulfill the commitment they had made to be there. How does it make you feel when you prepare food? And people at the last minute just flake. And that's what's taking place here. Look at the excuses, the three excuses. One guy says, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. So the guy had accepted an invitation to go to this particular feast. And then in the meantime, he buys some real estate. Well, don't you inspect the property before you buy the property? But this guy says, I bought the property and now I can't come to the feast that I already agreed to come to to go inspect the property after I bought the property. That's pretty lame, isn't it? And this represents a guy who his investment is more important than a kingdom party. And look, I get If you've got significant investments and you just skip a frivolous party, but this is no frivolous party. This party represents the kingdom of God and it is more important than any or all of our investments. The kingdom is the investment of our lives. See, but look at number two. Look at the next excuse. Um, This guy said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I wanna try them out. That's like buying a car without taking it on a test drive, right? Right? Uh, buying a tractor, you know, this is basically his tractor at his farm, you know, was his pairs of oxen. Um, Wouldn't you test drive them before you bought them? But this is his lame excuse for not being a part of the feast. And this represents, this excuse represents the person that their work is more important than the kingdom. And look, if you seek first the kingdom, God takes care of your work, doesn't he? So we don't have to blow off the things of God in order to work all the time. Certainly, we should work hard. Certainly, we should work with excellence. Certainly, um, we should provide a good or service that serves humanity and leads to human flourishing. But when we seek first God's kingdom, he works everything out with our careers and our work. But look at the third excuse. This guy says, I just got married, so I can't come. I totally don't get this one because when I first got married, we were poor and anytime we got invited to a party where there was free food, I was on it, dude. I'm just telling you that uh, right out of the gate. Uh, but this guy had committed to going to the party. He didn't even bring his new wife to the party to show her off and enjoy a date night with her at this amazing feast. And this represents the person that actually places their family as an idol above the things of God. And what people do is they take those verses from the Bible that talk about how we're to love our wives and our children, and our spouses, you know, all this kind of stuff, um, and then they elevate their family above God. But remember what Jesus said: Seek First, your family. No, the kingdom of God. And that's what the feast represents. And when we seek first the kingdom, it makes us the kind of people who can best love our spouses and our children and put our families in order. Uh, That's what this is about here. So these excuses are actually very much like the thorns in one of the stories that Jesus told when he talks about how the kingdom of God is like these seeds that are planted in the ground. The word is planted in this particular kind of ground and the little plant tries to grow up, but it's choked out from the sun by these thorns. These thorns are the excuses here. Now, When busy, wealthy people make excuses, hope dealers shake the dust from their feet and move on to someone else. And look at number three, hope dealers go to the poor. Hope dealers go to the poor. Remember what he said? Go quickly into the streets and alleys and towns and invite who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. That's what the Bible says here. And I remember when I was new following Christ, um, I had this friend, Tim, and uh, we were trying to follow Christ together uh, as friends in a group. And we basically made a list of all of our friends that we knew that we'd grown up with, that we'd played sports with, that we had hung out with. And we wanted to go to each one of them individually and talk to them about what God had done in our lives and give them an opportunity to receive Christ, you know, talk to them in appropriate ways, you know, not Bible-thumping them or being overly forceful, but just telling them what God done in our lives. And so we went to this guy's house. His name is Wayne. He was from a wealthy family. We sat there. We shared our stories with him. We shared the gospel with him and invited him to come, and he looked at us with a sarcastic smile on his face. He took a drag from his cigarette, and he blew smoke in our face. So we shook the dust from our feet, and we moved on. And I learned to experience God amongst the poor. I remember one summer where I found God. I thought I would find God in the midst of these significant holy sites and the archeology span of the Holy Land and all of that. But I found more of God in the face of a man named Isa Abel, who was a disabled shoeshine guy. In our country, he'd be getting disability checks, but he didn't get that there. And I wanted to give a donation to Isa because I saw how hard that he worked at shining shoes. And so I, I paid for a shoe shine, but I was wearing sneakers. I didn't need a shoe shine. So I was just going to give it to him. But he wouldn't take something for nothing. And so he gave me a couple of souvenirs, some widow's mites. These are, you know, replicas of the widow's mite coin that the Bible talks about, that, that the widow gave all that she had, right? And I've always kept these widow mites widow's mites to this day because of the way Issa Abel worked. He inspired me, and this might represents God's honor for the gifts of the poor. See, I experienced God in Israel in the face of Issa Abel. I found God another time when I was sorting shoes in Chihuahua, Mexico with Marianita Rubio, and Marianita said, make sure and keep all the shoes that don't have pairs because the children who are living in the mountains need them. And we went out and we were ministering to the Tata Umare Indian children and she said, look down at their feet. And so I snapped this little picture when I was looking at their feet and you can see those handmade sandals, the chunkless there that they had made. And you could see if you continued and saw more of them, the calluses on their feet. And I remember when we were ministering to kids in Mexico, you know, we'd wanna learn names, so we'd put name tags on kids. And this one little boy, on his name tag, it said, Jesus, like Jesus, right? And immediately what popped into my head was when Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you're doing it to who? To me. It's like I'm experiencing Jesus through the eyes of a child. In Mexico, and it shouldn't surprise us that um, Jesus is amongst the poor. For their hearts to heal, hope is the deal. And for our hearts to heal, and the giving of hope, our hearts will heal as well. Jesus actually came for the poor. Some of you read that story where Jesus stepped up to give like this really short sermon. And when he stepped up in the synagogue, the passage from Torah that he would read, was actually planned out 250 years before he ever read it, and look at what he said in Luke chapter four, verse 17 through 19. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written: "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has uh, He's anointed me to preach good news to who? The poor. See." To the poor. And I found God one time at a feast in Moldova with orphaned children there. We gave them a feast there, and you could see the smiles on their faces because they were receiving hope in the midst of a great kingdom feast there, we're experiencing the laughter and joy of Eastern European children, kids at a kingdom feast. And recently during my God times, you know, I was going through in my reading plan Proverbs. You know how you do like a proverb a day and that helps you get through all of Proverbs in a month. And I've done that many, many times over the years. But this particular time when I was rolling through Proverbs, every time it talked about the poor, I highlighted or underlined, noted that verse. I don't have time to go over all of those, but let me just show you rapid fire three of these passages. Real quick, there's Proverbs 22.9, a generous man himself will be blessed for he shares his food with who? The poor. And then there's Proverbs 21.13, if a man shuts his ears to the cries of who? The poor. He too will cry out and not be answered. And then there's Proverbs 19.17, which says, he who is kind to who? The poor. Lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he has done. It is obvious from the scriptures that God cares about the poor. I actually like how U2's Bono talks about the poor. He said, God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may well be with us in all manner of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But the one thing we can all agree, all face and ideologies is that God is with the vulnerable and poor. God is in the slums and the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And look at that last part. And God is with us if we are with them. This is God's heart for the poor. And when you experience him, here's the thing. You can't hold it in. Jesus is not something you can keep to yourself. His kingdom is meant to be spread. And that is why we have the next one, number four. Hope dealers are radically inclusive. We want to include other people in this great party called the kingdom of God. Verse 23 says, so his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. And look, a lot of people today accuse Christ followers or churches or Christians of being too exclusivistic, right? But actually, Christianity is radically inclusive, Because it welcomes people of every different tribe, tongue, and nation. All people are invited to come if they will. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. And so what I know, as I know you, is that some of you are asking, how can I apply this? How can I do something about this? Well, I want to show you four things that you can do. Everybody in this room can do in response to what I'm telling you today. And so you can do one of the four, you can do two of the four, you can do all four, three of the four, uh, uh, whatever you're able to do. The first thing is the bridge ministry. It's happening this Friday night, April the 19th. 5.30 p.m. You just meet right here at the Cameo, and then you'll go over from here to CAM, Christian's Assistance Ministry. Um, The couple that leads the bridge, uh, they are Mike and Jackie. You can see them pictured here with their lovely daughter, Fiona. Um, So I, I want you to know who to look for when you come up here to the Cameo if you decide to participate in this on Friday night. Another thing you can participate in is at Strong Foundation Ministry for Homeless Families. Shelter, uh, just a few blocks from here. Uh, First Wednesday, the next one's happening. May the 17th, or uh, uh, is May 1st, and it's actually 7.30 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. If you want more information about that, you just go to citychurchdowntown.com slash tribes, um, and basically what you're doing there is you're just taking an hour out of your evening to play with some kids, hang out with some kids uh, while their parents are going to studies and groups of every sort. Um, The third thing is the San Antonio Food Bank. Next Sunday, for our our, our, our Easter services, bring canned food, drop off, um, you know, not here, but at Sunset Station, we'll be having services, or a monetary donation for the San Antonio Food Bank to help alleviate food insecurity here uh, in our city. And then the last thing is this. I brought one of these Hope Dealer invitations, these little cards, and we put them all across the front of the stage. We put them in the lobby. We put them in the video cafe. And everyone here can take one of these along with a personal invitation. The more personal the invitation, the better it is. And don't underestimate the significance of this little card right here in your hands. We're going to pray that God would bless these little cards. And use them as we invite our friends, loved ones, and people we don't even know to come experience hope on Easter services. So everybody can take one of these and give it to someone who could use some hope. Now, don't be like, when it comes to these cards and all these other things, don't be like those who make excuses like we've just read about. Don't be one that's too busy to get involved and make an invite because look, look at number five. Hope dealers understand the urgency of the invitation. When you read in this text in verse 17, the banquet was ready, it was time to come eat. And look, you you got a mom or a grandma that when they make the food, you best be there when food is ready. Some of you know what that's about. Well, this is even more significant than mom or grandma's meal that's ready. This is the kingdom of God. The banquet is ready. The food is ready. And you have a window of time with which to come and experience it. In fact, just like we would be mad if someone didn't come when we'd prepared the food. So this host was mad. He was angry. He was furious, the Bible says. And look at verse 24 in Luke 14. He says for none of those I invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. They didn't come when they had the opportunity so they're not even get the smallest taste. And look, this story that we just studied is not just in Luke but it's also paralleled in Matthew as some of the gospel stories are, you get little details from other gospel writers. And one of the details you get about this particular story from Matthew is that the host was so mad that these people made these lame excuses that he sent an army to destroy their city and burn it to the ground. And this is perhaps a prophecy by Jesus towards the Jewish people that refused the kingdom as he revealed it to them. And just a few years later in 70 A.D., Jerusalem would be burned to the ground by the Romans. So there's a window of opportunity, and we don't mess around with that opportunity, but we understand the urgency. The banquet was ready, and those Jewish people did not receive it, and their city was burned to the ground. Now, just a few years ago, I was doing some counseling with a couple from here in our community, and the husband's name was Pete and the wife's name was Sylvia, and as I started talking to them about their marriage, what I realized, came to terms with, is that for their marriage to work, Pete was going to have to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't have that, and so after a long conversation, Pete prayed to invite Christ into his life, to 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 believe in the cross, you know, and that Jesus died for him on you know on the cross to pay for his sin. And after our little prayer session there, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, Pete was going to get, you know, mistaken for Mother Teresa or something like that because he was very rough around the edges. You know, he had a lot going on in his life. But it surprised me, almost shocked me, not long after our little prayer session, when I got a call from his wife, Sylvia, of Pete's untimely death. See, Pete used to promote concerts at Backstage Live just over here on Euston Street. And he also owned a club called 210 Capone's that's right over here on Euston Street as well. So because of my friendship with Pete, they invited me to speak at his rosary. And I'll never forget that funeral because when I went into this room, the whole room was filled with these hard metalhead rockers that went to all of Pete's shows at Backstage Live and 210 Capone's. So, have you ever been to that store in the mall, you know, Hot Topic? It looked like Hot Topic threw up in this room. It's like <laughs> Slipknot, Metallica shirts everywhere. And then me, the nerd, right? <laughs> I got to tell you, the reason that I could speak hope into a group of metalheads that day was because Pete had received the ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. When the feast was ready, he responded. But more importantly, when I looked into the eyes of his children, who at the time were six and four years old, and the tears were running down their faces, I was able to speak hope into them. Children, your daddy is alive at a feast in the kingdom of God because he believed in the ultimate hope, who is Jesus God gives a window of opportunity. Today's this day of salvation. You don't know. You really don't know. I'm not trying to be all car salesman on you. We all have people we know who pass and they didn't expect it and neither did we. It's just factual, isn't it? And look, God may have brought you here today with an invitation for you and the invitation won't always be there. So I think it's totally appropriate for us to just stop and pray with every every head bowed and every eye closed, every eye closed. If God brought you here to invite you to his kingdom feast and you'd like to receive that invitation and respond, just talk to him in your own heart and mind right now and say something like this. Look, God... I know I've screwed up and sinned, but the best I understand it right now, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I welcome you into my life as my hope. And as we continue in prayer, the next prayer is the Hope Dealers Commitment Prayer. And this is a pretty significant commitment to make. No excuses during this part for those of you that know Christ. But this is a commitment to take one of these invitations and invite someone this Sunday. I'm busy, I guess. No, no. We're not talking about just any old party. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ. Almighty God through a man, Jesus Christ. Oh, I gotta go buy a car, I'm getting, no, no, no excuses, not here. How many of you would raise your hands in prayers, sitting in prayer before God right now and commit yourself, I'm gonna invite someone, I'm gonna take the challenge, hey, I don't, I don't think I know it all, but I guarantee you this, I can invite a friend next Sunday, I wanna see your hands. I'm looking, nobody else. I'm looking, I wanna see your hands. Those of you really do that, really, all over this room. Thank you, Lord. A few of you are like, like I'm barely raising my hand. Okay, that counts. So you get it up there, you know. So, right, okay, all the way, all the way in. Thank you, Lord. And you see everyone raises their hand right now. And as these folks that have raised their hands. If they come up to this stage in the video cafe lobby, wherever they grab invitations, I wanna pray that you bless it as we go out to give hope. Lord, we know there are people who are dying in every possible way. People are without hope, in depression, hurting, all kinds of problems. Food insecure, and we want to be the hope of Jesus. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I thank you for the courage of the people that sit here before me And I pray you use our efforts as we go to be hope dealers this week. And we pray all these things in the power of the name that is hope, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.